0: And so if you would, open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 2, we're going to be looking at verses 1 to 13. 1 to 13. Let's go ahead and read it. 2 Timothy chapter 1, or rather chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life. So that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer... Ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship even to imprisonment as a criminal. But the word of God is not imprisoned. For this reason, I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen so that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus and with it eternal glory. It is a trustworthy statement. For if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny himself. I've titled this sermon, The Suffering Soldier. Scripture employs numerous terms to describe the pastor. He's a shepherd. He's a leader. He's an elder. He's an overseer. He's a preacher. He's a herald. He's a teacher. He's a servant, a minister. And he's to be an example To the flock of God. But one term often overlooked is that of a soldier. And it's the pastor as soldier that so desperately needs to be recovered in our day. You see, it's that imagery that puts a pastor in the position that when he is met with resistance and opposition, he must fulfill the orders of his commanding officer. He can't adapt his ministry. He can't accommodate his message. He can't even modify his approach. The pastor as soldier rules all of that out. A soldier doesn't have that prerogative. He's been divinely commissioned. He's been given a divinely directed duty. And he must Discharge his duty with faithfulness, knowing full well that doing so will inevitably result in suffering hardship. The soldier is not trying to figure out which hill to die on, he doesn't have that prerogative. Obedience to the commanding officer isn't optional, nor is he seeking a a clever and creative way to fulfill his duty. That's insubordination. He must fulfill his duty and he must fulfill it in accord with the orders of the commanding officer. He must have resolve and conviction. He must execute the orders with accuracy and precision. And he must do so knowing the commanding officer is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And Timothy needed to hear this. He had been overcome by a spirit of timidity, a timidity rooted in the fear of man. There was opposition from within the church itself. He had opposition from false teachers. He had opposition from biblically unqualified elders. He had opposition from women vying for positions of authority. And he even had opposition to his youthfulness. And to see all of that, all you have to do is read 1 Timothy. Timothy had been sent into Ephesus to bring order to that church, to bring bring conduct to that church that is fitting for the household of God. And his ministry had been met with opposition. But there wasn't just opposition, opposition from the inside. There was opposition coming from the outside. Paul himself was imprisoned. And his imprisonment was a direct result of the persecution of Christians. And his death for the sake of Christ and the gospel was both imminent and certain. And so Timothy, under the weight of that opposition, had begun to retreat, to give up ground, to avoid confrontation, To round off the edges of his preaching. To employ a measure of pragmatism in his approach and method. And to chart a path of least resistance in an attempt to bypass the very suffering he was called to. And so in chapter 1 and verse 6 and following, Paul writes, "...for this reason I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands." For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. In fact, Timothy was not only dealing with a, a degree of timidity, he was likely experiencing a, a measure of shame. And so in verse 8, Paul writes, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me as prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. And so Paul was calling Timothy to get back into the game, to put his hand back to the plow, and to ready himself and prepare himself to suffer hardship as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. And this epistle comes to Timothy with Paul in a dark, cold jail cell, his second Roman imprisonment. And this time there wasn't going to be a a release. His imprisonment was going to end in his death. And so from that prison cell, Paul exhorts Timothy to suffer hardship with him to enter into his share of the hardship of the ministry of the gospel. Now Paul had great love and affection for Timothy. He refers to Timothy as his beloved son in verse 2 of chapter 1. Timothy was Paul's spiritual son in the faith, and and Paul was Timothy's spiritual father. And so though Paul exhorts Timothy with a degree of strength, it's it's with affection and, and tenderness that he comes to him and appeals to him as his spiritual father, calling him to fulfill his ministry, to be faithful to the end, to get back in the race. And a lot was riding on Timothy. Timothy was the next in line. He was about to receive the baton of the ministry from the Apostle Paul. Paul was going to die. And Timothy would have to take up that baton and run the race and imitate the, the example and model of the Apostle Paul. to ensure the the message of the gospel, the apostolic teaching was passed on to the next generation. And so Timothy needed this. He needed to heed this. He needed to to get back into the game. And I think this message is appropriate in our time and day. Because it would seem to me that there are many pastors who are suffering from the same timidity, suffering from the same fear of man, wanting to bypass suffering, wanting to avoid difficulty, not wanting to follow in the footsteps of the Apostle Paul in suffering hardship with him, want to declare that this actually isn't a time of suffering at all, That there is no suffering to be entered into at this time. That any kind of suffering at this point in time is merely self-inflicted. That only works if you're going to bypass the issue at hand. If you're not going to be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. If you're not going to obey the commanding orders of your your chief officer. And so this needs to be heeded. Pastors in our day need to embrace the message of 2 Timothy 2, 1-13, to and abandon their timidity and embrace the call of the Word of God to be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Now, I realize that as we work through this portion of Scripture, that it's, it's directed at Timothy, and by extension, it's directed toward pastors. And so there's a sense in which, as we work through this portion of Scripture, the application is going to be for pastors— But pastors are the example the flock is to imitate. And so all of the application of this falls to you as well. And so even as application is being made to pastors, know that you can apply this to your own life and put this into practice and embrace the same things the Apostle Paul is saying here. We're going to see four aspects of a good soldier. Four aspects of a good soldier. We're going to see the strength of a good soldier, the succession of a good soldier, the suffering of a good soldier, and then the solace of a good soldier. And so note first the strength of a good soldier. This comes out in verse 1. You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Timothy needed to be strong. A good soldier must be strong. And yet the strength that he needs doesn't come from within himself. This is a strength that comes to him from outside of himself. This is a strength that comes to him as he is acted upon by another. Timothy is to be strong by a gracious, enabling power that would come to him, and the source of that power, that grace, is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is the source of this enabling grace. This enabling grace that, that, that Timothy needs is exclusively and solely found in him. And so Timothy had the responsibility of being a... a a a vessel that would receive this grace. He was called on to press himself into Christ, that the grace of Christ would pump through his spiritual veins. And Paul references this strength elsewhere. He does so in Ephesians 6.10, where he writes, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. It's the strength of the might of Christ that we are to be strong in. He also does in Philippians 4.13, where he writes, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And there Paul was talking about being content in whatever circumstances he was in, including a, a cold, dark jail cell. He could find contentment in that place because he can do all things through Christ who strengthens him. And by extension, that applies to all obedience. That whatever the Lord has called us to, his grace is sufficient to carry that out. And he does so in 1 Timothy 1.12, where he writes, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me worthy, putting me into service. Where Christ is the one who supplies Paul with everything necessary for him to be faithful in fulfilling his ministry. And so Paul comes to Timothy and commands him to always be being strong by the grace which is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. This was critical if Timothy was going to fulfill his ministry. What he was being called to do was well beyond him, in himself. He had no capacity to fulfill his ministry. He would need the grace of Christ to carry this out. And so how was Timothy to tap into this grace? Especially in light of the fact that there was timidity, the fear of man in him. Well, one, By taking inventory of his life, Timothy needed to take careful inventory of his life. He needed to search his heart. Somewhere along the way, Timothy had gotten off track. Whether intentionally or unintentionally, he had drifted from his pastoral calling. We know that fear had entered in, the fear of man. There may have been the, the fear of suffering. There may have been a weariness that had come from the, the rigorous duties of pastoral ministry. There may have been a, a desire to be esteemed among men, that he, he was seeking the, the, the pleasure and praise of his congregation. He may have been pursuing novelty in ministry, where he was, he was crafting new and innovative ways to carry out the ministry that had been given to him. Or there may have been other earthly distractions, more temporal things that were, were pulling his attention away from the, the, the ministry at hand. Whatever it was, Timothy had to identify it. And having identified it, he, need to, he needed to repent of it, to confess it as sin and to turn from it. And so taking a, a spiritual inventory of his life was critical to tapping into the the strengthening grace of Christ. Second, Timothy would have to humble himself. He would have to humble himself. Why is is humbling himself so critical? Because God is opposed to the proud. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. 1 Peter 5.5. And so Timothy would need to scan his life for any and all expressions of pride, Self-reliance, self-preservation, self-exaltation, selfish ambition, an overestimated view of himself or the the pursuit of vainglory, he needed to search his heart, to watch over it with all diligence, to identify anything within him that was raising itself up against God and he needed to repent of it. To confess it as sin before God and to humble himself under his mighty hand. Humility is critical to tapping into the strengthening grace of Christ. Third, Timothy would need to confess his weakness. Timothy would need to confess his weakness. Why why is that so critical to tapping into the, the grace of Christ? Because as Paul says elsewhere, when I am weak, then I am what? i'm strong weakness is an asset in serving christ more than that it's absolutely essential jesus declares my grace is sufficient for you for power is perfected in weakness second corinthians 12 9 and so weakness becomes a matter of boasting weakness is a matter to celebrate Which is why in the same verse Paul goes on to say, Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Weakness is critical. Absolutely necessary to receive the the grace of Christ and to be strengthened in that grace. You see, if you look at any man's ministry... And if you see strength in that ministry, you need to understand the strength belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. All the pastor brings to the table is weakness. Weakness is what we bring. Weakness, fear, and trembling. That's that's our, our resume. But Christ brings strength through grace. And if it were not so, it would be a horrifying reality. If you could see strength in a man's ministry and it was, it was not the grace of Christ working in him, then that would be a reason to step down from ministry. That would be a, a horrifying reality to be in the ministry and, and be doing it in your strength where people are going, wow, look at that strength. That is a work of the flesh and a horrifying thought to even consider. And so to tap into the strength which Christ supplies, Timothy would have to confess his weakness. And all of us are far weaker than we even realize. Four, Timothy would need to renew his resolve to mortify his sin. Timothy would would need to renew his resolve to mortify his sin. This is the initial fruit of repentance. A renewed commitment to put the deeds of the flesh to death. It's possible that Timothy had become slack in dealing decisively with his sin. And had begun to make room for it in his life, little, little matters of compromise, little, little inches given to sin. Now Paul was coming to Timothy and saying, Timothy, you got to get back in the race. You need to, to step up, get on that front line, be a good soldier. And to do that, he's going to have to lay aside the sin that was holding him back, the sin that was entangling him. sin quenches the enabling grace of christ it cuts us off from the flow of the grace of christ and so in repentance a a renewed commitment to to pursue holiness by the grace of christ is absolutely critical to tap into his strengthening grace and then fifth, on the, on the heels of that, Timothy would need to renew his commitment to fulfill his ministry. Timothy was on planet Earth for one reason, to fulfill his ministry. He had been enlisted as a soldier of Jesus Christ. And so he needed, he needed to embrace that responsibility and ministry as the very reason for his existence. And anything vying for supremacy over that needed to be laid aside. If Timothy was going to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, he would need to renew his commitment to his pastoral calling. This is what's demanded of a good soldier. He must be strong by means of the grace that finds its source in Christ Jesus. That's his strength. Second, the succession of a good soldier. The succession of a good soldier. This comes out in verse 2. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Timothy had been entrusted with a a deposit of truth. In fact, Paul exhorts Timothy to guard that deposit a few verses earlier. Chapter 1, verse 14. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in you the treasure which has been entrusted to you. It consisted of the the gospel and really just the truth of the word of God. It was the word of truth that had been entrusted to him as a deposit. And he was to guard that. He was to keep it. He was to protect it and proclaim it. And it was a a deposit that he had heard the Apostle Paul preach and teach in the presence of many witnesses. Witnesses. And so this was teaching that Timothy had heard Paul publicly proclaim to many witnesses in the presence of many witnesses that Timothy had heard. It was well testified that this was, in fact, the apostolic teaching and doctrine. And having received that deposit, Timothy was now to entrust it to other faithful men. Men of excellent character who had shown themselves to be both able and faithful in handling God's word. They were to be 2 Timothy 2.15 men, which just a few verses later says, be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. And so men of character and men able and equipped to handle the word of God, to to represent God as he has represented himself in his word. And they in turn, these faithful men, were to teach others also. They, They would be entrusted in the teaching ministry of the apostolic doctrine and to pass that on to others also. Such that you have four levels of succession from Paul to Timothy to faithful men and to others. And when you sum that up, Timothy was to train up other biblically qualified elders. Men who had shown calling as expressed through an insatiable desire for the work of the ministry. 1 Timothy 3.1, if anyone or any man rather aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. Men who were above reproach. Being of excellent character, 1 Timothy 3.2. An overseer then must be above reproach. And men who were apt to teach. Being able to both teach sound doctrine and refute those who contradict. 1 Timothy 3.2 and Titus 1.9. If Timothy was going to be a good soldier, he would have to entrust the teaching he had received from the Apostle Paul to other faithful men. Now, much can be said about this, but the most critical ingredient in training up men is a strong pulpit ministry. The preaching of the word of God is the primary means by which God builds up his church. And it's the pulpit ministry that is the ministry of the word of God in the local church that fuels and feeds every other ministry of the word. And so, for Timothy to fulfill his responsibility to raise up other biblically qualified elders, Timothy would need to have a strong pulpit ministry. Now, it's not hard to illustrate this. Why is the church so weak today? Because the pulpits are weak. Weak pulpit, weak church. Amen? And so what pastors need to do is they need to open the word of God. And they need to let the lion out of the cage. They need to preach the word in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. If they are going to be good soldiers of Jesus Christ, then they need to preach the pure milk of the word, handling accurately the word of truth and representing God as he has spoken in his word. And so a strong pulpit ministry is absolutely critical to raising up faithful men, but it's not enough. It's not enough to merely preach the word. From there, Timothy must ensure that the word of God is applied and implemented into every aspect of the life of the church. You see, to just preach the word of God and not ensure the word of God shapes the whole life of the church is to undermine the pulpit ministry. It's to discredit it. You must preach the word of God, and then you must ensure God's word shapes everything about the life of the church. It's worship. It's ministries. It's fellowship. Absolutely everything, anything less, then the word of God, shaping the life of the church, undermines the strength of the pulpit. There need to be both. both a strong pulpit and strong, gracious implementation of that pulpit, that word in the life of the church. but still, not enough. Timothy must practice what he preaches. He can't simply preach the Word of God and then have a life that discredits the, the very word he preaches. He needs to have a life that reflects the word. He needs to show that his life has been shaped and molded by the word. He needs to demonstrate that he himself is a man under authority and the authority of the word of God. And so Timothy must practice what he preaches. He must walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. And of course, he's a fallen man. And so this is not going to be a a perfect reality. Timothy is always going to be preaching a, a standard above him, a standard beyond him, one he's reaching and striving for. But nevertheless, the very direction that Timothy preaches ought to be evident in his life. Because anything less than that would undermine the ministry of the word. It would undermine the strength of the pulpit. It would discredit it. Now, again, more could be said about that, but nothing more important than that. Everything starts from a strong preaching ministry, and from there, the Lord takes the preaching of his word, and he blesses that word as it's sown into the life of the church, and it bears fruit, and he's glorified. And as Timothy would give himself to the preaching of God's word, the cream would rise to the top, and Timothy would have faithful men to entrust the deposit of truth to. That's the succession of a good soldier. Now third, the suffering of a good soldier. The suffering of a good soldier. Verse 3, suffer hardship with me, as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. The call to pastoral ministry is a call to suffering and hardship. It's not a call to an easy life. The world thinks the pastor shows up on Sunday, delivers his message, and then goes home for a week. That's not the life of the pastor. Paul exhorts Timothy here to suffer hardship and to do so together with him. And keep in mind that Paul is writing to Timothy from a a dark prison cell with with death looming over his head. Literally, his head would be removed. In chapter 1 and verse 8, as we read earlier, Paul says, Join with me in suffering for the gospel. And no one suffered more for the gospel than the apostle Paul. And Timothy was well aware of his sufferings. Timothy knew everything that Paul had gone through. Timothy could could list it out just as Paul did in his letters. Timothy knew all of the difficulties, all of the persecutions, all of the sufferings. And Paul was calling on him to enter into those sufferings with him. And that's what a good soldier does. He suffers for Christ and for the sake of the gospel. The word good there can be be rendered blameless or excellent. And so so suffering is a quality of an excellent soldier. If Timothy wanted to be the the excellent soldier he was called to be, he would need to embrace a life of hardship and suffering. And really, the certainty of suffering is expressed in 2 Timothy 3.12. It says there, indeed... All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And so this is not even just limited to Timothy. This is, this is all who are in Christ and desire to live godly. Persecution comes with the territory. And for Timothy, hardship would come from any and all angles. As we've said, it could come from within the church itself. Opposition criticism, whatever it is, from false teachers that were trying to infiltrate the church, from the unbelieving world around him, and even from the governing authorities, given the fact that Paul was in prison, it could come from anywhere. And Paul is saying this to Timothy at this point because it's possible that Timothy was seeking to bypass all of this. That he was looking at that road of suffering and trying to find a way he could avoid it and and maybe still be faithful. Get creative, innovative on how to fulfill his ministry by not having to go down that road marked by suffering. And there's just no way to do that. It's impossible. And Paul wants to get Timothy's attention. And he does so with three metaphors. Three metaphors that, that demonstrate that That if Timothy is going to be a good soldier, he's going to have to do it like this. And doing it like this is going to mean going down the road of suffering and enduring hardship with him in the process. Each one of these metaphors really emphasizes a particular quality. And the first one is single-mindedness. Look at verse 4. No no soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who, who, who enlisted him as a soldier. To entangle oneself in the affairs of everyday life is to allow civilian affairs to stand in the way of faithful service. Now look, Timothy would have had involvement in basic civilian affairs. It would be impossible for him to avoid all of that, especially if he had a family and children. But nevertheless, his involvement in those affairs ought to never stand in the way of his faithful service. You see, the issue isn't that Timothy not not participate on some level in any of these things. The issue is entanglement. The issue is that Timothy not be so engrossed in them that faithful service is hindered. It would be a dereliction of his duty. And he would fail to please the very one who enlisted him, the Lord Jesus Christ. No, Timothy, he had to be single-minded. He had to be dedicated. He had to be wholehearted. He had to be willing to obey the orders as given by the commanding officer. And that meant having to go right down that road of suffering. There was no way to go any other way. There was no way to bypass the road that Timothy was being called to. He had to be single-minded and unattached to the earthly world around him. He was to have it as his ambition to be pleasing to Christ. Where the very pleasure of Christ over his life and ministry was more precious to him than anything else. And this single-mindedness that Paul is calling Timothy to is going to expose certain things. It's going to expose the fear of man. Because Timothy's going to hear that that call to single-mindedness, and he's going to realize that if I embrace that call, I'm going to have to go through that road of suffering, and that road of suffering comes with suffering, no doubt, as well as the fear of man. And so this call to single-mindedness was was going to expose where Timothy was was out of touch with his God-given duty. It would expose his commitment to his comforts, whereby maybe he wanted to avoid the the difficulty and, and hardship of ministry because he was committed to maintaining a comfortable life. Or it may have exposed the fact that he was attached to his possessions, his home, his family. Whatever it was, Timothy wasn't to let anything stand in his way. And when suffering would inevitably come, he was not to change course. He was not to modify his message. He was not to modify his approach. He was not to modify his ministry. He was to remain single-minded with a view toward pleasing the very one who had enlisted him. The second analogy emphasizes submissiveness. Submissiveness. Look at verse 5. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. The athlete must compete according to the rules. The athlete is not in a position to rewrite the rule book. The rules are given to him And he must fulfill the terms of those rules. He must compete within the bounds of those rules. To go outside the bounds of those rules, to violate those rules, would disqualify him from the competition. Not only did competition demand training in a certain way, whereby the the athlete at that time would have to train according to particular parameters. And then, and then give an oath that he had fulfilled those parameters to even enter into the competition. But once in the competition, the athlete must compete according to the rules. Again, this was calling for Timothy to be submissive to his commanding officer, to be faithful in fulfilling the orders that had been given to him, and all of that was going to guarantee and necessitate that he' go down the road of suffering. It was going to bring hardship. There's no other way. You can't be faithful and obedient to the commanding officer, the Lord Jesus Christ, and not go down that road. It's impossible. And so Timothy had to remain faithful to the rule book he was given. couldn't accommodate the culture, couldn't accommodate the situation, couldn't modify the biblical mandate, couldn't do so in the name of wisdom, public testimony, or some other excuse disguised as virtue, Timothy had to compete according to the rules that had been given to him. The third analogy comes from agriculture and calls for sweat. Verse 6 The hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. And the stress here is on effort, hard work, diligence, labor. The word rendered hardworking means to exert oneself physically, mentally, or spiritually. It can be rendered work hard, toil, strive, or struggle. And to labor this way is to labor to the point of exhaustion, to the point of weariness. Timothy was going to have to put his hand to the plow and spend all of it, in God's field. And this is what a hardworking farmer does. The hardworking farmer does whatever it takes to bring his crop to fruition. He can't make it grow, but he sows the seed diligently, even lavishly. And in some cases he can't water it, but he prays hard for rain, and it's God that that causes the crop to grow through blood, sweat, and tears. And so Paul was calling on Timothy to work hard, to be diligent, to exhaust himself in the task at hand. To make this his undying pursuit. And to do so with a a bit of a reward in the future that's referenced here. In fact, both the the athlete and the the farmer have an eschatological view toward them as far as the reward that one can anticipate. For the athlete, it was the prize. And for Timothy to win that prize, he would have to get to the end, all the way to the end of the race, and be faithful, and he would hear, well done, my good and faithful slave. And here, it's the crop, and the harvest comes in at the end of the age, and Timothy is to to spend his life to bring forth this crop, and by the end of the age, when that time comes, he'll see the fruit of his labor, and he'll be satisfied with the work that he's invested. This is what Timothy is being called to single mindedness, submissiveness to the commanding officer, sweat with respect to hard work, laboring to the point of exhaustion. And then Paul says this, verse 7 Consider what I say. He's calling on Timothy to think on this. Consider this, Timothy. Consider each of these pictures, these metaphors. They they are speaking to you, Timothy. They are calling you to your your God-given duty. They're, They're showing what it means to be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Think carefully on these things. And then Paul promises Timothy that as he does, the Lord will grant him insight. And with that insight, he'll be able to apply this to his life, and have a clear picture of the mission that has been given to him. I mean, Timothy would have been challenged by this point. He's been wrestling with timidity. He's he's taken himself out of the race. He's trying to find a way to be faithful, and yet avoid the, the pathway to suffering. And Paul is saying, no, Timothy, you've got to go down that path. There's no other way. And and Timothy is is being prepared to receive the baton of ministry. Paul is on his deathbed. And Paul is going to hand the baton to Timothy, and it's going to be Timothy's responsibility to take that baton and ensure the the ministry carries on, the, the apostolic teaching. And so at that point, Paul provides some comfort. some solace to help to strengthen Timothy, to give him some courage and so forth. Note the solace of a good soldier. The solace of a good soldier. Verse 8, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David according to my gospel. He points him to the one who has suffered the greatest degree of suffering for the sake of the gospel. He points him to the one who went to the cross and suffered under the wrath of God for all who would ever believe on his name. He points him to the one who went into the grave and rose on the third day. Paul is saying, Timothy, even if this costs you your life, look to Jesus. He accomplished redemption The resurrection from the dead, he conquered the grave. Verse 9, for which I suffer hardship even to the point of imprisonment as a criminal. You see, Paul had a gospel entrusted to him. A gospel that declared the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it was that gospel that that Paul was was suffering hardship for to, to ensure that gospel reached the four corners of the earth. And it was on the the cusp of that gospel and the preaching of that gospel that Paul was imprisoned and imprisoned as a criminal. Paul was in chains for his commitment to the gospel. And so Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, look at me, I'm in chains. I'm in chains for the sake of the gospel. And yet I'm here in this cold, dark cell, and there's joy, and I'm, I'm looking to Christ, and I, I'm entrusting everything to him, and I know he's faithful. And he even declares to Timothy, next half of verse 9, but the word of God is not in prison. And so even with Paul being imprisoned, prison, it wasn't holding back the word of God. The word of God was just going forth even louder, even more fully, with even more power. It's like Philippians 1, where it was giving courage for others to preach the gospel as well. And so, even though Paul was in prison, the word of God was not. Verse 10: for this reason, I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen. Paul was, was doing this for the sake of the elect. God had had chosen a people before the foundation of the world, and Paul was was spending himself to to give all that he had to ensure that that everyone came in. The doctrine of election didn't didn't hold back his his evangelistic zeal. It was the fuel for his evangelistic zeal. He was enduring everything for the sake of those who are chosen so that they also may obtain salvation that they would hear the good news of Jesus Christ and be reconciled to God through him and with it eternal glory. That when this life ends, those who have been reconciled to God would enter into everlasting glory. This was the very thing. Paul was giving his life for. And so he says, remember Christ, risen from the dead. Remember me in my imprisonment. I have followed in the footsteps of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look, the word of God is not in prison, Timothy. I'm enduring these things for the sake of the elect, Timothy. Enter into this hardship with me, Timothy. And then he declares in verse 11 a trustworthy statement. And there he says, for if we died with him, we will also live with him. And there Paul is talking about our union with Christ, that we've been joined to Christ in his death and resurrection. He's talking about how in Christ we've died and yet been raised in the newness of life. And so Paul is saying if we have died with him, if we have been born from above, if we've been joined to Christ in his death and resurrection, we also will live with him which doesn't just speak to the the newness of life we experience now, but to a certain resurrection because Jesus rose from the grave. Even if Timothy should give up his life, he he will live again. He will rise. Verse 12, if we endure, we will also reign with him. And so Paul says to Timothy, "If we endure, if we overcome, if we persevere all the way to the end, we will reign with Christ when Christ comes and establishes his earthly kingdom, we will reign with him." And then he warns him and says, "If we deny him, he will deny us." And that denial there is not not the denial of Peter in a moment of weakness. This is a a settled denial. This is a a settled, purposeful denial of Christ. And Paul warns Timothy that, that if we deny Christ, if we walk away from Christ, if we reject Christ, he will deny us. And he will do so when he comes in blazing glory. And yet knowing that Timothy was weak, he then gives this word of comfort. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. Had Timothy had some faithless moments? Yes. Was Timothy in a a bit of a season of faithlessness? Yes. But the Lord is faithful. And the ground of that faithfulness is expressed in the second half of verse 13, for he cannot deny himself. For the Lord to deny Timothy, and Paul was certain, chapter 1, that Timothy's faith was sincere. The Lord would deny himself because Timothy had been joined to Christ and was a member of his body. And so Paul provides this word of comfort and solace to to Timothy. Yes, Timothy, you're going to have to suffer. Yes, Timothy, it's going to be difficult. Yes, Timothy, there's a cost. Yes, Timothy, you've got to be single-minded. Yes, Timothy, you've got to be submissive. Yes, Timothy, you need to sweat. But the Lord is faithful. And even if it should cost you your life, he will rise you from the grave. You will live again. You will enter into eternal glory. And when it's all said and done, and the harvest comes in, you will look with satisfaction on your labor And you will give honor and glory to Christ that he had counted you trustworthy to be engaged in that task and to have the privilege of serving the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You know, I think this is what we need today. I think this is what's missing today. Men in ministry, who are committed to the truth, who are committed to Christ, who are willing to to walk the road of suffering, to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, to follow in the footsteps of Paul, of the rest of the apostles, of of men throughout history who have suffered for the sake of the gospel, men who are immovable, men who are steadfast, men who are always abounding in the work of the Lord. This is what the church of Jesus Christ needs today. Men who are going to stand up And proclaim the word of God with boldness, conviction, and passion. And to do it, they're gonna need strength the strength which God supplies. And they're gonna need to ensure that there's a succession plan, that other men are being raised up to entrust the truth to others. They're going to have to embrace suffering and hardship, unavoidable, comes with the territory. And they're going to have to find solace in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the reality that God uses suffering to further his kingdom for his glory and for his honor. And so may God give us more men like this and may God ensure the men that are here in this church by His grace, are willing to walk that path and join with Paul in suffering hardship with him. Let's pray. Well, Father, we're grateful for this time in Your Word to be challenged in this way. So grateful for the Apostle Paul, His example his commitment to Christ and the gospel, his willingness to suffer hardship, to do so, laying down his life for the sake of others. Father, help us to imitate his example. Help us to follow in his footsteps, knowing that he was imitating Christ. And may we be good soldiers, excellent soldiers, obeying the orders of our commanding officer with single-mindedness, submissiveness, and sweat all the way to the end. And may you be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen.